Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So let's jump off the diving board. Of course, 
Um, it was announced earlier this week uh, that uh, there's a kind of a creation of a new podcast. I don't really look at it like that. I look at it as collaboration between the 110 Nation Sports Network and the Race Chat Live. Um, that we're going to jump together uh, and do a 20-minute interview, basically, um, as we try to knock out this list of drivers that uh, we've been privileged and given the opportunity uh, to uh, to to interview. Of course, it's it's all hands on deck type procedure. Um, anybody anybody within the group and stuff that wants to uh, participate in that, they are more than welcome. It's definitely not something. Um, that uh, we're limiting to just me and Mr. CJ Sports, of course. Uh, we want the entire uh, network, uh, the entirety of the network, to, to join behind this as well and help make this thing successful. It's going to be the 110 Nation Race Chat Live exclusive. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I get excited when, I, when, you, when you say the name exclusive. Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you, Ms. Lee? You know, something that nobody else has. Right, right. And and you know what? Everybody has a little bit of race chat live, right? Like this show is basic. It is the basic of all basics, right? Like all we do is come on here and we, we give our opinions about where something is or how something is. And, and that's entertaining. A lot of people like to hear, especially when we make it fun the way that we do in this group. We, we have respect for each other. We're not trying to holler. Our, our one opinion is not greater than thou, though some of us act like they are, including me, uh, especially me, probably <laughs> only me. Uh, but anyway, um, I, we, it, we've, we've been friends and family long enough. We can, we can irritate each other a little bit uh, if need be. And, of course, everybody knows I jump on the horse every now and then. So that is without, that is w- without mention. But this, the exclusive, it is something that nobody else is uh, going to have because this network in, in itself has created this amongst, you know, all the years, I guess, of, of getting, um, you know, it's kind of what it is, Miss Lee, and this is really what it is. It's back full circle, right? Like we've, we've adventured off and we've decided to become more of an entertainment entertainment uh, show than we have an actual uh, sit-down interview serious sports show, right? And I think that's all the way through the whole network. We've become more of entertainers than we have a journalist or or, or, or um uh, interviewers, uh, you know, the, I take, I'm taking a lot of pride on myself as being like the Larry King of interviewers. Like I want to know what my next question is based off of the answer that you have given me. Right. And, and, and I've never right. been scared to ask a question. So asking questions is always easy, but we've kind of pulled away from that over the last few years and really just focused on being an entertainment side. And so this exclusive moment really brings it back full circle, Miss Lee. It brings it back to where we started with this stuff and how we would bring Absolutely. and how you became such a, a an important piece to the network because of your connections and you've been what you've been able to bring to the table with interviews, with getting in depth and getting the side of the story that nobody else had. And look, I, nothing against what we're doing today. It is entertaining. It is fun. And, and it's a lot of hard work to be a good interviewer. It's a lot of hard work uh, to try to get the best out of somebody in the 15 to 20 minutes that we have, um, uh, you know, to make that contact with them. And so this is really – this is a rejuvenation. This is a revival. This is a revival. 
It's more than an exclusive. It's a revival, mentally, of where and how all of this started. This show, Race Chat Live, was racing with big sweat. And the one thing that Bill, that uh, Steve Billmeyer brought to the table was he brought his interconnections into the ARCA series, um, um, the late models asphalt series, and even some of right. the uh, you know Xfinity and Cup level guys. Like I mean, Steve right. was he, he was he was experienced in in the uh, um, in the industry, and it really. So here we are, twelve years after the creation of this network, ten years after I joined this network, and we're bringing back something that made the one ten nation and helped create Race Chat Live, because Race Chat Live was manifested within this network, and we're being able to combine those two together and in, and, and in a little short name called Exclusive. I love it. I love it. I mean, who's the marketing genius behind all this? My God. We pay people big money, obviously, around here uh, to come up and with d- such a scandal. And, and don't forget our buddy stats and yep. all the interviews that he did within the wheel and mod series. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for bringing Matt Paracone to the table. Um, he would be, uh, you know, at that time before we lost Mike, we had not changed course as a network. We had not, we had not really focused on um, the entertainment side, creating shows that were, uh, basically opinionated and, and, you know, even at times controversial, crazy opinions. The NASCAR Domus versus the NASCAR dumbass, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, kind right. of, that's kind of in some of what our show is, NASCAR Domus or NASCAR dumbass. Which, which one are we this week, you know? Um, but uh, this is full circle. It's really exciting. We're not going to draw it out. We're not going to have a long two-hour show. We're not bringing a whole bunch of information to the table um, we are going to have a sit-down, simple interview. It's going to be easy for these drivers to share amongst their fans, which means that we're not going to bore their fans with a bunch of our stuff. I just felt like when me and Mr. CJ Sports sat down and started talking about where we were going to go with this and what we were going to do and how we were going to utilize uh, this opportunity, it was very apparent real quick that we needed to separate it from our traditional show because last week was kind of an eye-opener, right, when we tried to squeeze that show into our regular show. And it's not that we did a bad job with it. It just doesn't fit what we do now. And I I felt, you know, in in his his own regard, they don't really talk much about racing on uh, on his show. So it's kind of – this is the golden opportunity to bring us all together for a little very short period of time on Monday night for 30 minutes. And we're going to do a quick interview, and we're going to try our damnedest to promote the hell out of this new little podcast. And hopefully it'll help both of the other struggling at times. And, you know, it is what it is. There's a giant sea of things out there, Miss Lee, uh, that people have the opportunity to listen to. So we feel just as privileged as ever when those, those small sums of people – Tune in and follow us week in, week out. We know that there's people listening to us. I have legitimate proof that people listen to this show. I have legitimate proof. And how how far in left field did that come? What was it, yesterday when I reached out to you and told you that I met a guy who was not only friends with you, 
but it also said that he had listened to our show. Right. Yeah, you got you got a Roy, story, Chris. Roy Flew Welling somehow wound up in my taxi cab. Okay, I'm an Uber driver uh, at times, just to you know. I mean, it's what I do, man. It's a lot of things that I do. I love, wear a lot of hats. Uber driving is one of them. Okay, so I pick up this guy at a hotel. He's going to go uh, to an auction uh, to pick up a, a rig and drive it back. He's from Maine. Uh, he lives at this time in Tennessee. Um, his wife passed away about seven years ago. Um, he has a badass freight liner, and he kept, you know, all these things are coming together. The ride's about forty minutes from where where we where I picked him up at to where I had to take him, and somewhere about probably about ten minutes to dropping him off. I said, "Well, you're a truck driver. You're from Maine. Do you like asphalt racing?" <laughs> I couldn't know myself, right? I love it, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> of course he does because he's a truck driver, and he's from Maine. Of course he is. Of course he likes racing. So um, we got to talking real quick. I was like, yeah, I do a little podcast and stuff. He's like, no, really? Oh, man, I, I, I love listening to podcasts when I'm riding down the road. I was like, yeah, man, it's called Race Chat Live. He's Race Chat Live? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, well, wait a minute. Uh, I know that from one of my from one of my groups that I'm a part of, and I was like, one of the groups you're part of. And now we're talking. What? <laughs> so he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I was like, okay, hold up, hold up. Now, Race Chat Live. We, you know, here's a little quick story. We're like kind of Steve Billmeyer. If you're talking about NASCAR, or other racing group, and he was like, yeah, man, I come along right there when Steve passed away. I was like, what? Like this guy knows Steve passed away. Look, I. I know y'all can't see, but I just turned my hat around backwards because I'm so involved in this little story here. So anyway, come to find out, he knows Miss Lee, right? How amazing is that? Like, you're thinking the guy's pulling your chain. Like, yeah, I've listened to your show. No, you haven't. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know, you, dude, nobody listens to my show. Nobody listens to our show. Yeah, I've listened to your show. I, I didn't act like that, and trust me, we do have people who watch us and listen to us. But still, this was like this was this was a crazy moment. And so, come to find out, he's known Miss Lee. He's part of the NASCAR other racing group. He's followed the show. So we actually have legit proof by friends on mutual friends uh, that uh, this guy actually knows about Race Chat Live. He's heard about the One Ten Nation. Um, he's friends with Miss Lee, um, and. Uh, um, had you know, um, um, that's where we are. Like I met a fan. I, hey Roy, I had, hey Roy, I, I love you. I had a guy in my. I had a guy in my. I think he loves you too. Uh, I had a guy in my back seat, and this guy had had knowledge of what we're doing here. Miss Lee, that's twelve years into this, right? That's twelve, and, and right. I don't know how that made you feel. But that made me feel like for 12 damn years, we have sacrificed so much to just be a part of this show, to be, to be here on a Tuesday night. Or I think I've done a show on every night of the damn week. I know I've done one on Monday night. I know I've done one on Tuesday night. We're doing it tonight. I know I've done one on Thursday night. I probably have never done one on a, on a, on a Friday night or a Wednesday night, but, but there's still time to get it done. So. Just having that moment to know – there's a lot of things that have happened in the last week, Ms. Lee. A lot of things that have happened, a lot of uh, 
um, you know, opportunity, this with the uh, with being able to do the interviews, this, that, and the other with uh, with Roy, knowing that uh, knowing about our show. Um, you know, when you when you ask yourself, why do I do this? Why do I continue uh, to to uh, uh, do what I do? It's man, there's you don't have to look very far when you hear stuff like that, or you get the opportunity to. Uh, tap back into something that you really enjoyed at one point in time, and I, we probably completely went off the rails on the show. And, and I'm sorry, Miss Lee. I just now kind of realized I haven't even really given you much of a chance to talk because I've just been so excited. Um, and on top of that, you know, we have, we're literally having the biggest street stock race in the world this weekend, the 11th Annual Southern Street Stock Nationals at Why Not Motorsports Park. I'm going to be uh, displayed on TV to. You know, thousands of damn people, and I guess I'd probably take that opportunity to give us even more exposure. And who knows, I'll probably put in a little cheesy cheap plug uh, once or twice throughout this weekend while I'm exposed to all these extra people. But, uh, man, big things are happening for the 110 Nation Sports and for Race Chat Live. And, Miss Lee, if you just don't feel like it's all been been worth it to be a part of this team and to, you know, we've all made sacrifices to be – uh, right here tonight, uh, we've all made sacrifices uh, to be here Absolutely. on this network. And um, um, but it's and, moments and like if, that. And if anyone out there remembers, I you know I've been part of race or a part of the One Ten Nation since like I don't know twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. You know, I've always been behind the scenes and and kind of running things and whatnot. This is my first year actually being on the air. Um, oh my gosh! You know, and that's something I forget been, about, Miss Lee. Like you were behind the scenes for eight, nine years, and right. then out of nowhere, I give you a phone call, and, and I'm like, "Hey, I want you to be a part of the show and be a be a personality." And we got you a couple of times last year, and I, here we are. Um, Y'all probably got me in tears now. I'm, I'm riding an emotional roller coaster right now. Uh, well, and this is, you know, Chris, this for me, you know, this is, it, this really got me outside of my comfort zone. This was not something I wanted to, to do, to be, in, be involved in this side of things. But you know what? It's been one of the best things I've done for myself because it did get me outside of my comfort zone. I'm learning a but lot hey, about that I right wanted now. to ask you. I wanted yes. to ask you about your live streaming at Why Not. What's going on with that? With the radio broadcast that we snuck in. Is that yeah? Was that what you did? Was just the radio broadcast, or was it Facebook yes. Live? Uh, no, what I did. Um, with the are you, are you talking about last week, couple of weeks? Uh, what, what, yeah. What, okay. So what I did was I got to wait until we were completely done with qualifying, and I knew I had a three-hour range to work with. So I kind of tried to calculate the best amount to fit in. And Miss Lee, I hit it within like ten minutes. I swear to God, I hit it within ten minutes of of it being. I, I got everything in on live radio. So I just flipped a little switch and turned it on, and, and uh, we got a few listeners from it. I didn't get in trouble for it. I don't know how far it got out that I did that. I don't know where I uh, where I actually am in ownership or what of, uh, you know, it's my voice. So I, I don't 
don't know if I need permission to share that or not. I haven't gotten in trouble yet. Who knows? I probably will. Um, but I tried <laughs> something that I don't think ever that's ever been done before, and I, I'm the type that I'll get in trouble uh, before I ask permission. And that maybe cost me something somewhere down the road. That's fine. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But uh, I tried right. something, and, you know, it's crazy. Like, we share these shows and stuff, and we don't we don't get much traction, but all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, I pop out that, you know, this is a live feed coming from the racetrack, and all of a sudden people flock to it to listen to it. So uh, it lets us know that, hey, if anything, it's a publicity stunt, but it got people uh, tuned in that we're still on the air. We're still doing things. Um, how I can utilize that later on, obviously uh, there's a lot of technicality in what's going on this weekend, uh, so I don't really – I'm probably not going to push that button. Um, as I try okay. to figure out how to mingle this in and create, um, without creating much of a stir for my boss, of course, there's people who are, you know, they're, this is being live streamed through, um, a certain company. And I don't know exactly how much of the intellectual property they own. I do have some questions uh, on as we get further into this about who actually right. owns my voice. Uh, but I haven't pushed that because I don't want to open up a Pandora's box and I don't want to put people on the edge. So um, there is a whole okay. lot that we are trying to figure out amongst the streaming stuff and especially amongst videoing because there are questions that I have with YouTube videos about certain things that are being published uh, by certain uh, YouTubers and how they are bringing mm. to light other situations that may not be as they appear because, of course, we always want things to look from our side. And so you never know. Right. You know, I know how it is in real TV. In real TV, I cannot show somebody's uh, logo if I don't have their permission, right? Right. So I don't know how deep that rabbit hole goes and how far it's been pushed into the property of streaming. So there's a whole lot of stuff right there that I don't really want to tamper with that could put anybody or anything in jeopardy. When I'm sitting there on a weekly on a weekly Saturday night show, um, I, you know, I feel like, hey, that's you know, that's probably my golden opportunity to do something like that. Until we, until I get in trouble or find a reason to not do, you know, it's kind of a, a slow process. It was it was really something that I've I've been wanting to try for a very long time, um, but I haven't really figured out how to implement it um but there again i I feel like it's my voice um it's you know um i probably have some kind of uh uh, so and how my voice can be used right and so i don't want to get too far into that because i might show a hand and or somebody might find something confusing with what i said um, so I, I really right. – no, um, yeah. we tried something. It got a couple of viewers. It was a publicity stunt. It got people to the network. Where it goes from there, I'm not really sure because, like I said, there's a whole big Pandora's box uh, of, of, that can – Right. Can I believe Pat Taylor is trying to join us. Um, he did send uh, Lee Reed uh, – okay, NQ. Okay, also announced we are now on Amazon Music where they can catch our shows. Yes, I did announce that, so I'm just now kind of going back. Um, I've got viewership stats for Sunday. Okay, all right. So, yeah, let's get back on track. 22 minutes, man, 23 minutes. We have thrown, I mean, my gosh, um, probably the energy that I created at the beginning of this show could not be matched for the rest of the show. 
I'm about uh, about wore out. About ready to go take a nap next week. All right, well, let's get rolling in things. Uh, you know, look, Michael McDowell. Who wants to say the very first win was a fluke? Who wants to say the very first win was a crapshoot? Who wants to say the very first win, it could have been anybody? The second win? Lucky shot. This was a statement. The second win was a statement. And it was a statement from Michael McDowell, who got previously uh, made fun of, basically, on a podcast that he had no chance in hell to make it because here comes Chase Elliott by Denny Hamlin, right? So he got – he. I mean – uh, it was that perfect hold my beer moment, or in uh, uh, um, in uh, Michael McDowell's words, hold my odules. Okay, so because um, of course it's a non-alcoholic beer. Uh. <laughs> all right, so first of all, he was doubted. He comes out. He he doesn't only win the race mentally. He puts a general ass whooping on the field. Okay, and and third, it's a statement from Ford and more more about where, for real, RFK racing is. Because it was the other day when I pointed out that right there on our private chat that this is actually RFK's third win in a row because those cars are prepared in the shop uh, at at RFK. Well, of course, today it comes out the icon, Roush Fenway Racing, Fenway Kislowski Racing. Basically, kind of took a little bit of credit there uh, for Front Row Motorsports' win and recognizing Front Row Motorsports as an affiliate team to Roush Fenway Keselowski uh, Racing. So, um, kudos to a small team who has nowhere near the assets, nowhere near the employees, nowhere near the money behind them as their bigger brothers in Penske and Stuart Haas. Um, great job, Front Row Motorsports. You have proved that you belong here this time. Michael McDowell, I never doubted you. Um, I knew the grit in this driver when he got out of that race car after flipping the air and star at Texas. Like, I, I knew Michael had that passion, right? You could just see it. Um, and uh, this is his this is his coming to be moment. Um, he earned his way into the playoffs. He won, he won the first race of the season, and then had to be the butt of all jokes, such as Ricky Stenhouse has been throughout this year, right? Uh, Michael McDowell went out there and he put a country butt whooping on the entire field, including uh, seven international drivers. I think six or six countries were represented. Seven countries were represented in this race. Taz Taylor. Man, are you there? Yeah, man. Hey, I took hey I oh, took yeah. one of those road ringers, and you know what? Michael McDowell might have slapped me in the face, but you know what? It gained points for me. So, and I was the only one that picked him. Wow. So you picked Michael McDowell to win? No, you picked no. I I picked no. I picked no. I picked SVG. I was the only one that picked him because I had a feeling I had to think like you Chris for a second there you don't know why because I'm sitting here and I'm sitting you know like Tuesday morning before pool opens up I'm sitting there thinking about who I'm going to pick and then I look at the Vegas odds and I'm like wait a minute there's some names in here I somehow 
completely left, went through my mind. And I'm like, and the sad part is that Chris never caught me on that either. And so then I, so then I saw some of them. One of them that caught my attention was SBG. Of course, I had to go onto the entry list to figure out if this was really true, if he was really racing that or at Indy. And I saw that he was on the entry list. I was like, you know what? I'm going to put my mind where Chris is thinking. And I'm going to make him pay for it. And sure enough, I did. <laughs> did. You got me. And I went with Ross Chastain. The reason why I went with Ross Chastain, my son looked at me. He said, who you got, Dad? Because I was like, man, I'm, 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 they're killing me, man. They're killing me. Like they're killing me because my first choice was going to be Joey Logano. Thank God I didn't go there. Too bad you would have caught me. Um, but and then I thought Keselowski. But then I said, you know what? After what they learned from SVG at at the Chicago race, Ross Chastain has hopefully done his homework, sat down and watched the end cars and figured out, you know. And I thought that Trackhouse would have an advantage this weekend at Indy. Well. I picked the wrong driver because one driver did have an advantage, and that was Daniel Suarez. Ross Chastain, you disappointed me. You need to do your homework, my friend, because somebody else did their homework, and he's the guy that's always getting kicked down, and that's my amigo. And my amigo went out there and pulled off a third-place finish, Ross Chastain. So, Watermelon Man, I, you need to quit sucking your thumb about everybody calling you mean and not knowing that, you know. Too aggressive and all that. Man, I need you to stand up on that wheel. I need you to do your homework, and I need you to have that competitive advantage that you showed us that you had for the last year and a half. What's ever happened in the last month? you got to erase that stuff, Watermelon Man. You have got to get it together because Daniel Suarez, he did. He took notes. He understood the assignment. That's why he finished third. Oh yeah, he, but it, he but it still has him sitting on the bubble. Unfortunately, but he, I mean, he really, <laughs> he really, you know, I think opened some eyeballs for, especially this weekend when we had to walk into Glen, which is another road course. But, um, right, yeah, that's that's a ballpark. Perfect scenario. Do you do you really think that Suarez is going to give an inch to Chase Elliott this coming weekend? Oh, good God, no. Nope. I would want to. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I think Suarez understands what's on what's on the what's on the line. There. I love it when a guy will... finds himself in the hole and has the courage to dig himself out of it. That's my kind of guy. I feel like that's where Suarez is right now. Right? He's been overshadowed by the other two people in his group. And now it's given him that grit to succeed. And I'm telling you, I saw a different Suarez in this past race. I know he's pretty good at road course racing. We've we've discussed him many times. But it just felt like there was a confidence there that he had that we haven't seen in, in past. You go back to his interviews. The guy was highly confident. And, and something caught me off guard, I think uh, Danielle Trotta said, um, that she noticed that uh, uh, A.J. Allmendinger lacked energy in his pre-race interview, and that kind of scared her. I, I, I didn't really realize that about A.J., 
that he is he is he is a confidence driven driver as well. I didn't see the lack of confidence. I didn't know notice the interview, but it did make me think about Suarez and how I felt like Suarez was very confident coming into the weekend. So, um, but, uh, you know, you know, what's going on I'm with just, AJ? Without... I'm just going to throw this out there. AJ's wife is pregnant and could go into labor at any moment, and so he was distracted. He was distracted. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I did. I found out yesterday that he had a baby. So um, congratulations, AJ. Um, I don't know how many hours he was in labor, but but I did find out he had a baby. So oh wait, I think it was his wife that had a baby. My bad. Uh, men don't have babies. Um, at least not on this podcast. <laughs> Hell no. Oh. But anyhow, so yeah. So you know, he he knew his wife was close and. You know, so he he was he was definitely distracted. There's there's no doubt about it. We know that he's a road course ringer, and you know, I'm I'm just giving it to that. So let's uh, let's open up the first topic. The topic board, of course, has already been posted. The first topic of the night is one that we go to a lot. It's the old Shakespeare. To stage or not to stage. Now, this is a very interesting topic because I believe, you know, in the beginning, 90% of race fans hated the idea of stage breaks. They hated the idea. I can remember the discussion here on the panel. Uh, Mr. C.J. Sports, Craig Moore, Taz may have been a part of it. Um, you possibly were listening in and giving us advice on the other side. But I remember the old well, the stage brace is not real racing and blah, blah, blah. I was always, like, in between. I never really was bothered by the stage. Of course, my middle name is Caution Flag. So, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not gonna be mad at a caution, right? I, I love cautions. That's, my, that's why I'm the yellow caution flag, because I love cautions. I don't know. I don't, don't want to see anybody get hurt. I just love the, the entertainment behind it. Like, there's a reason. There's excitement. There's a reason why this race has stopped. So stage racing kind of felt manipulate that that flag, and that had become non-existent at some places. Well, this weekend, that old rearhead head popped back up again and reminded us all what a strategy race is. And some people find that race entertaining. My son is a sports car race fanatic. He's like, Dad, this is an amazing race. Man, I just can't believe it. Son, all I'm seeing is the top two cars. That's all the video that's all the video cameras are showing. The top two cars, Michael McDowell and Chase L. They're not showing anybody else in the entire field. Oh dad, there's strategy going on here. There's guys on different pit stops. It just never really excited me. I felt at the end of the race it was a good race for one reason only. Chase Elliott finished second. Now the next reason was because Michael McDowell won the race. I'm I, I so glad Chase Elliott didn't win the damn race. I had to put that as my number one reason why. But outside of those two facts, the race was boring. And it reminds yeah, I me agree. of the reason why I prefer the stage racing. I prefer the, uh, the, the cool down that they get. I prefer that. I mean, I, I honestly do. And, I, you know, I'll give us time to discuss it. Miss um, Lee, you you jumped on board already. You, you you're ready to agree with me and tell me why. 
Well, restarts. That's that's the answer to your question right there. The restarts. Because that can possibly shake things up and often does. So, you know, since we can't, since since NASCAR outlawed um, drivers throwing water bottles out of the cars, um, yeah, the stage breaks, they set us up for those restarts. And that's where a lot of the excitement in racing comes from. Everybody will tell you a Formula One race is nine times out of ten only exciting on the very first lap. And that's because they're all jockeying to see how many positions they can make up the moment that green flag comes out. And they don't have a rolling start. They start from position. They start from stationary. So they don't have a rolling start like we do. Um, But outside of that, it creates the drama, uh, Miss Lee. Um, Taz, do you want to come in and argue, play devil as advocate? Um, It it feels like a really short subject here because um, I really feel like – we have gotten so used to the stage racing and it's so a part of racing now in itself that um, I'm not sure um, uh, strategy racing is pleasing to the race fan. Help me here. So I only like, I'm only for stage racing on two occasions. I like that during super speedway races, it gives the drivers a chance to breathe, relax, you know, because obviously in super speedway races, like, things can be so tense because any little mistake you make, you could wreck a whole field no, no matter what lap it is because everyone's so bunched up. And I feel like stage racing, it, it helps, you know, the driver to relax, recoup in the middle of a race because if you don't have those stage breaks, it's – and those yellows don't come out as often, then you're just running uh, 150, 200 laps in tense moments, and you don't have a chance to breathe other than going down a pit road and making green flag stops. And the other time, I would say I'm kind of for stage racing is the pit strategy deal. Because I've noticed in the last couple of races we've had, um, you hear drivers and crews talk about, do we do we stay out and get the stage points, or do we come in and pit with the last few laps, sacrifice those points, and think about the bigger picture in mind, which is how we finish in the end for the final checker flag. So those are the only two really points I like about stage racing. Other than that, I kind of feel like they drag um, a bit. Especially when short, especially in short track racing, but I feel like it but the only problem I have with if we go back to short track racing before the next gen car, where the short track package was actually good, um, I feel like Speed racing was not needed there because I want to. I wanted to see the entertainment value or when things start heating up. You know, I feel like stage racing kind of kills it in a sense. Um, 
And I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about them in, in, on the intermediate cookie cutter tracks. I guess it depends on which one for the most part. Um, only because like if they're boring tracks then yeah, I kind of want the stage racing for the entertainment value, but for the good racing cookie cutter tracks, I don't want those. I don't want those stage cautions. I want the inter- I want the racing to keep going. So, what is your stance on road course stage racing? I personally, to me, I like how NASCAR does it, which is basically you can have the stage racing, but don't throw the stage caution out because. because of the sense that cautions can take a while on road courses because it's not your typical one, not your typical mile and a half or two mile track that we're mostly used to seeing. These road courses are at least what, a little over two miles, about, about two and a half, three, just, just in one lap. So cautions are already, you know, dragging the race out in a sense, I personally feel like. So I'm not really much of a fan of having a yellow for stage cost or having a yellow for end of stages. I'm kind of actually for the what NASCAR does now. You can have stage racing, but just don't throw the yellow. Yeah, that's what's going on, but I don't see really the point in stage racing and awarding points for something that's not an actual race. Um, that's just like awarding some lap money or something, you know. Um, there's there's really no substance to having stage points being given for a race that doesn't have brakes. So you're not really racing to anything. And so it's contradictory. It's a way to gain more points out of a race. Um, but in reality, it's no it, – it, that you can't play to the strategy of that because there's no way um, uh, at least at least when you're having cautions you've got a guy who can take the chance and gain extra points uh, which is what you want the back of the field to be more relevant right as time goes on they can make those chances and stay out to get the stage win or to get the stage point and that helps them build points throughout the season. It may knock them off for the second one, but they were going to finish 26th anyway. So when they get that, that eighth or ninth place and they're able to pick up a couple of more points, well, that takes their 26th place, and it actually gives them points for, you know, an 18th place. Well, those points at the end of the year mean something when it comes to that charter, and it means more money. So I, you can't really be on the fence about when to have stages and when not have stages. Um, as we open up that box, Miss Lee, what do you? How do you feel about where I just went with that? No, I I agree with you a hundred percent. You you're either going to do stage racing or you're not going to do it. It doesn't matter what kind of track it is. You know, like I said. I, I do agree with it in that, you know, it, it, it gives us forced restarts, which can, you know, earn earn guys points. It can shake things up. 
But if you're going to do it, you're going to do it at all tracks. Or if you're not going to do it, you don't do it at all. Dad, what's your rebuttal to that? I mean, I can care less either way about stage racing, honestly. I know it's more for an entertainment purpose. Um, and right. plus, you know, give give uh, give drivers, you know, the reason to try to score more points within a race or whatever, instead of NASCAR, right. you know, trying to keep track of it's a race within a race. Uh, trying yeah. to trying to keep trying to keep track of you know, oh, the pole winner gets a few bonus points, or whoever led a lap gets a bonus point, and most laps like gets bonus point, all that mumbo jumbo. That's all they're pretty much doing. Um, I and it, to me, I, I agree then, with that. That's a great point. Like I hate to stop you there, but what you just said could have so easily gone past our listeners. There was a time when we gave out points for the most led laps and for uh, leading a lap and, and whatnot. So we basically just kind of changed how we award these certain points and how it's where it's given to, right? So it's no longer just a couple of cars can earn a couple of points. The stage, you're helping validate my point about stage racing because that creates more drama. It, think about how many races to the stages that we've seen uh, over the years, over the last several years, and somebody really risking it with on lap 50 just to try to get that stage win, Taz. It's created drama. It's created storyline, and I think – what you said there, it's for entertainment purposes. Exactly. And I felt like, I feel like when, I feel like in a sense with what NASCAR is doing with like this stage racing type of purpose with entertainment purposes, it, and I've been watching some old, old races in the last couple of weeks of this particular series. I kind of feel like stage racing now is they're trying to bring back an old IROC feel. If you remember IROC more in the modern time, which where they had like the halfway break or when there's like 20 laps to go, they throw the yellow, bunch the field, and award points there. Because what was IROC pretty much based on? Not so much of the money, but so much of gaining for a championship. I feel like the Cup Series kind of went down that route. And if you look at before before stage racing with with the Cup Series, or I should say NASCAR's top three series in general, it was always, you know, the long green flag runs. People were getting bored with it. And at the same, to me, I can, I can understand the boring value of it, but at the same time, it's like it's not true NASCAR because you're not sitting here – you're not sitting here seeing – how drivers and crews, you know, try to accumulate um, how much fuel to put in on a green flag run or when to come down and pit. Do we take two tires for a 20-lap run? You know, that all those sorts of things. I feel like those really tested the driver and the crews more than the stage racing type of thing. Because at that point, you could sit here and say, well, 40 laps is – because, well – I feel like stage racing with this competition caution that comes out in the middle of stage one is kind of stupid because at that point I feel like you're doing four stages instead of three. Well, competition cautions are warranted, I I feel, 
when you've got a green track after rain. You know, I I I can't disagree with that, but I I, I do agree with with what you just said, Kaz, about that being, you know, thrown is thrown in as an extra stage. But you know, the stage racing, I think, has taken away a lot of the guesswork and the unpredictability of fuel mileage, tire wear, you know, I, I, the, 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 the crew chiefs and the, and the engineers know that, okay, we're going to have a caution at this lap. So we know we're going to use X amount of fuel we're going to have X amount of tire wear so we can plan for that. So that does, it, 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 it takes a little bit of the ingenuity and excitement out of it in that respect. Stage racing was created because 10 years ago, the Gen 6 car became the driver's favorite car to drive and there's a reason why it was their favorite car to drive out of all the cars the gen 6 was their favorite because that car would not spin out that car was easy to drive which in return when a driver has an easy car to drive it doesn't put on as good of a show to the fans so nascar had found themselves in a position where these cars went around and around in a circle for so many damn laps without nothing breaking, without nobody spinning out, and the races become boring. Boring as a 50-year-old marriage, okay? Boring. And fans were turning it off because they couldn't couldn't hang for three and a half hours watching cars go in circles. So stage racing was created because of a car that was unwreckable, a car that was undestroyable. And now we have a car that that does tear up. We have a car that is harder to drive. And with the stage racing, I think it's brought us a lot of damn storylines this year. I mean, stage racing helps create the storyline because the stage racing creates the caution. It creates the... You know, as, as DW would say, cautions breed cautions. Now, that used to be, you know, before stage racing, that was something that happened every few races or something. But remember, 20 years ago, a car had a blowout. A car lost its motor. A car would spin out going too fast through the corner. Ten years ago, you couldn't get any of that out of this car because it was so damn over-engineered. We only have a couple more minutes on this subject topic, but, Miss Lee, I know you're biting at the bit. Go ahead. This car, I I don't know. This car has created some good racing. But I also feel that this car has created a lot of headaches for the shops because things are so specific and things are so tight. You know, look at how they had to change how they tow the frickin' cars. 
Yes, it did. It, it changed a lot of things. I, I mean, seriously. You know, Joey Logano going off on Joey Logano going off on the guy's towing his car. He probably could have continued to race if right. they hadn't right. had to tow the car the way they towed it. Right. So in this beginning, you know, where we so have there's a new good car things and bad things about this new car, but. The, the new car is destructible. It's wreckable. So, in in, in stage cautions added together has created storyline after storyline after storyline. My I, I, I my only I can't argue. My only take with the stage racing that I'm against for, I, as I mentioned earlier, we're not seeing the true ingenuity, and as Miss Lee said too, we're not seeing the true ingenuity of how NASCAR was built off of and how it was ran for years. Now, with this part of the deal, it does make you sit back and think on this stage racing deal. Yeah, well, we can we can sit here and argue points are a different, you know, factor too, but it does make you sit here and think with this stage racing deal, how would drivers race for a whole race? How would a champion be crowned. I get people don't want to see a driver like, say, Martin Truex Jr. back in Charlotte a number of years ago and lead, well, lead what? 295 out of a 300-lap race? But at the same time, but at the same time, I would rather see a driver who deserves to be up front that's ran up front all race long win a race instead of, you know, you bring in stages into the mix and say Truex is the dominant car of of the race, stage caution comes out and you go green to checker the entire time and true and like say when that stage caution comes out, say Truex gets screwed on the restart, doesn't recover He's screwed in that sense because why? There was a stage break in there. Like I said, the only I'm for stage racing on the on the super speedway deal, but on a lot of these tracks, I feel like it's not really needed. And I'm just going to throw this in there. How much of the stage racing deal was predicated by? the television deals. Mm-hmm. Right, because now we don't miss green flag racing for five minutes of, of commercials that were going to happen anyway. We forget exactly. we forget that that every time that there was a damn wreck at some of these caution-free races, as I said earlier, that when the caution did come out, nine times out of ten, they were on some freaking commercial break. And we didn't have exactly. as much side by side racing where they did the commercial on the on the and they showed you what was still going on at the track. So a lot has changed right. and improvement from that end. And I believe it was a, a, a joint effort between the network and NASCAR uh, to implement stages because that gives every other um, uh, sporting event has a pause breaks so that you don't miss any of the action. You'll never get tuned into a basketball game after somebody's done shot the three-pointer. You'll never 
you know, they'll never have to stop the commercial to show somebody making a touchdown. There's never a home right. run while you're at commercial break. So there was a reason for the stage racing. And, of course, you know, Formula One went way out there by eliminating commercials altogether. Um, that's, a, that's a powerful move there. I'm not sure how they were able to get that from ESPN, but, it, you know, it's definitely uh, put them at a competitive value to NASCAR uh, because people seem to be toned, t- turned off by all the, the commercials that NASCAR has. So I guess net value, that one didn't bring as much to the table uh, as NASCAR, but, you know, I, I really don't know how that was figured out, especially uh, being that that network is actually the one that covers the races. They're subcontracted out. I believe that's Sky Sky Cameras or whatever. Anyway, it's it's actually Sky, an overseas Sky network. Or, yeah. Right. They're the one doing the actual coverage, just as NASCAR will be doing the coverage of CW. And after listening to a little bit of uh, Dave Moody and stuff over this past week, I have big reasons to believe that the NASCAR coverage um, at for CW will as will in fact be the MRN and the PRN guys. I'm not going to put that as as a for sure, but if you're kind of listening to NASCAR radio um, and some of the comments that have been made from Dave Moody and others, it seems that that direction has you know they're they're saying look we're owned by NASCAR. NASCAR come out this week and said something about paying drivers uh, to promote the sport better, and that created a whole nother. Uh, question that was, you know, knocked around on on uh, NASCAR radio there for a couple of days. So, uh, we've got plenty of other things to talk about. Um, I, I think that we've hit where we needed to hit on the stage racing side. Of course, there's. I, I thought, you know, for a few minutes there that this was going to be a dull subject. I'm glad that it was brought to the table. It seems like all of us are pretty passionate about where we feel like stage racing belongs in NASCAR. Um, it's cool to still see people that they're, that don't necessarily agree with it. Um, I think their opinion matters just as much as ours. Um, I'm grateful for it. I'm a man that wants storylines and entertainment. That's what makes this show fun. Um, and, and boring racing is uh, bad for storylines. So this weekend, the storyline was Chase Elliott finished in second, and Michael McDowell, the underdog, David Flashing Goliath, which puts us to the next subject, Ford Resurgence. Now, Ford, I think, had two wins the previous 20 races, and then in the last three races, uh, they've won three in a row. Not just a Ford, not just for the Ford camp, but a certain Ford camp. Um, and that's RFK slash Front Row Motorsports slash uh, Rick Ware Racing. You know, small, small groups in large numbers, small small hope in large groups. I'm not sure how to phrase it, but it's something about how is this going on? Stuart Haas, Joey Logano ran 36 or something all race. Like, he was horrible. Um, how does a small team, Ford team, get such big uh, performance right here? What's going on? Obviously, we've covered this subject kind of before. But it's still got to be eye-opening. It's got to be a reaction from you guys. Did you even believe that this would be possible, rolling in as as we watched the so-so season of Ford? Um, it, how surprising is this to everybody? Uh, and I'll start with you, Taz, tonight. Taz, where are you right now in this Ford resurgence? Well, 
Well, first things first with this new next-gen car where ideally for the most part, everybody's on the same level playing field in terms of basically cat, like because NASCAR pretty much has neutralized everything that goes on with the car in terms of chassis, um, a lot of the next-gen car parts. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it could be – so, I mean, there's not a whole lot of what it used to be where your four-car teams or your powerhouse teams that you see win week in, week out. Hence, if you look at before Chevy went to went from Monte Carlo or Impala to Camaro, you saw in the Gen 6 cars, Fords were the dominant cars. And we sat here and questioned where the heck did Hendrick go with when it came to Chevy Camaros? Are they not adapting well to the Chevy Camaro? Once Chevy realized it could have been that type of Camaro car, they adapted to the change. When they made that change, all of a sudden, the Chevy team starts coming through like it used to before. And you look at also at the Gen 6 era, too. Stuart Haas' team was right there competing with these top teams in terms of Gibbs and Hendrick without a problem. And I'm starting to feel like with this next-gen car, we're, as much of a variety as we're getting in terms of winners, I feel like we're also seeing some of these smaller teams and underdogs starting to come through. I mean, look at last year. We would have had 16 different winners go into the playoffs had Kurt Busch not been injured. That shows variety. And here's before, we, if we said 16 different winners to go into the playoffs, you would have thought we were, you know, smoking some big old dope and whatever. But, man, we've had 23 different winners since the inception of this new car, Taz Taylor. And I feel like Stuart Haas has got to be missing something on these next-gen cars, whereas these underdog teams, and I can't really say Penske's missing the mark, too, because, I mean, last year they won the championship with Joey Logano. And I feel like Ryan Blaney a lot of times this year has finally gotten out of his winless shadow. Ever since Ryan Blaney's gotten out of his winless shadow with him winning the Coke 600, I feel like he's stepped up a notch. He's there. And now with that coming along, you're bringing in RFK. Brad Kizlowski starting to come through. Uh, Chris Busher's starting to shine through. Now we're seeing front row motorsports coming in. JTG was competitive in the first few beginnings of first few races to begin the season. We're now talking about guys guys and teams that we never really talked about when it came to these Gen 6 cars. But I'm feeling like I'm feeling like Stuart Haas is missing something yeah. as a whole. And, and it could be and it could be the transition period that Hendrick prob that Hendrick kind of went through. I mean, yeah, they had the Camaro, but I feel like Hendrick in Jimmy Johnson's final year 
they were lacking so bad. And then when Jimmy Johnson left and Kyle and you insert Kyle Larson, yeah, we can argue and say, well, Johnson was way past his prime. Kyle Larson, you know, starting to come into his prime, blah, blah, blah. We can argue that. But I feel like Stuart Haas right now is in that Hendrick slump that they went through a few years ago with Jimmy Johnson's final season. And I'm not saying that in terms of, you know, there's Eric Amarillo on the way as well. I know Harvick is competitive, more competitive than Johnson was in his final year. And I'm not afraid to admit that either. And that's coming from a Johnson fan. Um, I just feel like that iconic face of your race team is when you say that there's that final season, I feel like that right there just overshadows everything in the, for the rest of the team. And they feel like their spotlight is being taken away so they're not ready to perform. And I kind right. of feel like with Jimmy Johnson and with Jimmy Johnson, his final year, it was kind of like that because, I mean, granted, yeah, Chase Elliott won the cup championship that year. But if you take away that, what did Hendrick do that year? Where was Bowman? Where was Byron? Right, they, right. Those bro- they, were, they were in the background. Right. So growing pains from Stuart Haas. I mean, it's hard to say that they're having an off year when they won the championship last year. Um, but BK and RFK, just hard work and success. Along with front row motorsports, I, I can dig that. Miss Lee, I know I know you're ready to get in on this. I'm going to say, look at your engineers. I mean, I don't have any stats or any names to pull up, but look at your engineers. When who who has the youngest and smartest engineers. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say that because it reminds me a lot of Cole Pern, right? Nobody knew who who, who Cole Pern was. Right. Probably they didn't even give him a chance because he wasn't even American. Um, or even James Smalls, um, another perfect example. Like, these guys were the underdogs, right? They're They're the – they started, especially Cole Pern, because he's, he was over at Furniture Row Racing. Um, these guys are, are hungry. They're hungry, and they want they, – some of these guys are coming out of college smarter than, than, than the guys um, that have been in the business for 25 years because the sport has changed so much on them. Um, the guy who's coming fresh out of uh, engineering school probably knows a little bit more. Unfortunately, it's just the way that the uh, education system is now. They, you know, kids are learning a lot quicker. Um, you got guys who are willing to prove themselves, and willing to take those chances. And uh, given that, Miss Lee, that's a great point. Uh, Brad Keselowski has brought some pretty amazing pieces to the table, and I'm sure not all of them were proven in the corporate world. Brad Keselowski has a way of eyeing talent. He went out and right. got the guys that he thought was going to be best for RFK. And in return, right. Ford is the beneficiary. 
Right. And, and I'm just, like just going to throw this out there. And, you know, yes, he has not had the most successful career, but Ryan Newman is a freaking engineer. Man could wrench on his own freaking car. How many drivers today can wrench on their own cars? Right. Well, and I Brad hate to throw in this. I hate to throw in. I hate to throw in this reference, but if you look at the last five weeks of SRX, you know which drivers know cars and which ones uh-huh. don't, because uh-huh. during those breaks. Because during those breaks, you knew which drivers were were sitting there helping with the actual SRX crew members working on the cars, tweaking things, or fixing something versus the drivers that sat back. Yep. Thank you, Brad Keselowski. Thank you, Ryan Newman. Yep. And we're gonna we're gonna try to we're gonna get in SRX news here because definitely we got to get that in. I, I, I'm satisfied with Ford's resurgence. Um, I, I feel like we hit, made some good points there. But definitely, um, they're setting themselves up uh, as the playoffs are coming. It's perfect time to get hot. Hopefully, um, Penske and Stuart Haas can get their head out their earth and either hire the guy that's coming up with all these wonderful creations and engineering or at least buys the information so that we can get all the forecasts on the same page and back in back up front. I, I'm not trying to slow Keselowski down by no means, but uh, it would be nice to have a few more Fords uh, in the fight. Now, I'm a Ford fan, so as you can tell. Um, let's get to the next topic, and I think this one is something that has been the topic of, of many, many conversations. Um I don't know that this Indy road course race has uh, had any significant value. I've heard it's been, you know, it's not actually a crown jewel race, uh, even though being at the Brickyard, anytime we're at the Brickyard should be considered a crown jewel place just because of the history of that place and how many years it took to get NASCAR there. Um, But so here we are, and ticket renewals were out put out and it's that around back or coming back around um i believe was what the uh what the renewal statement said and we all know what that means right uh coming back around we're going to have 30 year anniversary we're going to race the oval again yeah i don't know about y'all they more or less intonated on um race hub tonight that the uh, Indy Road Course is done. So here we go. For our 30th anniversary, we're going back to the Oval. Miss Lee, what are some storylines that you think we, we're going to bring when we go back to the Oval? And is this is is should there be an asterisk around these names that have won the Brickyard? Or do you feel like me? A win is a win at the Brickyard. 
tell me how you feel about that, and then we'll we'll try to discuss a little bit more about the Indy Oval and what it means. Well, you know what? The Indy Oval race is one of the most boring races on the circuit. That said, it is also one of the most iconic. So, personally, I I thought that the Indy Road Course race was boring as heck. And I know the Indy uh, Round Course or Oval Course is boring, but I'd, I'd rather watch that. That's just That's just my own opinion. You read um, what the oval? Yeah. You Just know, by barely. You know, like I said, they're they're both boring, but I I'd rather watch the iconic race. Right. It is kind of sad. We we raced there a lot of years. Um, the most uh, significant race. Should be the second race that was ever raced there when a real man won it, Dale Earnhardt, instead of that pussy boy, Jeff Gordon. Um, but instead, I think Indianapolis is most remembered for the tire problem, and that's a hard one to shake. And whatever fans were left before that tire problem, um, I think kind of didn't want to be embarrassed and go back again after that. So the reason why they went to the Oval I mean, to the road course, uh, was because fans just didn't want to show up anymore. And when you only can fit 30,000 fans into a 300,000 fan facility, um, it looks kind of bare. Um, And it's probably pretty expensive for the upkeep just for that uh, few people to come in. So um, we've gone this route before. Will it bring a resurgence? Will it bring – will it it possibly bring 100,000 fans back to the facility? I think it may. I think it may because some of these tracks have been encouraging. See, what, what I go back to that car that was so fun to drive by the drivers but was so crappy of an entertainment uh, car that, you know, it, it literally made NASCAR have to change things. And so we've been in this development of change over the last four or five years, and now we've changed so much we don't even know our identity anymore. But I think I'm still a guy. So, uh, yeah, okay. All right, I just checked. I'm still a guy. So, Miss Lee, you're still a girl? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, I'm still right. a girl. All right, good deal. All right. So, so not all identity pr- has been lost, okay? But NASCAR has, has fumbled uh, the identity part, and they've tried a lot of new things. I think the way that this car has raced in Michigan, I think the way that this car has raced at Atlanta, I think the way that this car has raced at cookie-cutter tracks, I think we will set ourselves up for success with the return of the Brickyard. That's exactly where where I was going to go with that because with this car, it's put some of these boring cookie-cutter races that we've seen in past years become entertainment or become entertainment and fun races to watch with this car. This car has not ran the Indy Oval, so could we see that turnaround? That's the one uh, question there. 
Now, the other question mark I have to say is when you win the Indy 500, look at, in, look at the IndyCar series. They visit Indianapolis twice. They've always kept the Crown Jewel Indy 500 on the oval. They've never changed They've never changed the Indy 500 to turn over on the road course. Never card said, whoa, let's do the Brickyard race on the road course. Now you're taking, like, yeah, you won a crown jewel, but did you really win a crown jewel? That's kind of where I'm sitting on that with, because I don't, because like, yeah, as you said, Chris, a win is a, a win at this track is a win at this track, but did you really win the Brickyard race? Did you really win the Indy 500? I like where you're going with this because there is a significant point that I was shown this weekend that Taz Taylor just made, and I want to. I want. I know he knows this, and that's why I want to bring this out. There is 300,000 people that will show up to the Indy 500. There's only about 50,000 people that show up for the Indy road course race. It's the same track, the same drivers, completely different fan count. Explain that to me. If there's not a difference in the crown jewel race, that shows right there. There's a difference. There is a difference. When you have 300,000 people show up for the Indy 500, and then they race, you know, three months down the road and only 50,000 people show up for a road course race, it's not the drivers that they're there for. It's the crown jewel. Right. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, my next-door neighbor He's a NASCAR fan. The only race he has ever been to, and he used to go every freaking year, was Indy. And when they started on the road course, he don't go no more. Yeah. Think, Think of it, also think of it this way, Daytona. If we ever started the Daytona 500, which is NASCAR's literally NASCAR's biggest crown jewel besides the championship race and whatever, um, Daytona 500, the biggest crown jewel. If you take that and take it out of the oval and put on the Daytona road course, are you really a Daytona 500 champion? No. Exactly. No. That's my point with this. Like, you're not really a brickyard winner. You're you're the Indy Road Course winner. Congratulations, good for you. But I don't feel like you're a true brickyard winner. It can be labeled as a brickyard, great. But to me, you are not a true brickyard winner because you didn't race the traditional brickyard 400 track. Well, and I could hold you to that standard if we raced at this racetrack twice in a year. But what I can, what I will always fall back to when we when we look back and we try to give uh, affirmation or whatever for the I can't think of the word that I'm looking for. Maybe that's the right word for these drivers that did win in the time frame. That's not their fault that NASCAR decided to go race the road course instead of the oval. So exactly, I can't take that away. I can't take that away from those drivers because they won at Indy. The, the perfect example is with IndyCar. They go to race that racetrack twice. They get two different crowds. But within the drivers of NASCAR, they're given one opportunity to go in that prestigious place. 
And I can't take away from A.J. Allmendinger. I can't take away from Michael McDowell. I can't take away uh, from who who else has won that race? That uh, Was it Tyler Reddick? Did Tyler Reddick win there? Uh, I think so. I, anyway. but, but I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying I'm blaming the drivers for any of this. Of course, this is all on NASCAR, but I'm just saying, for instance, on I don't, the Brickyard winners on the road course, have, I don't feel like they're true Brickyard winners, you know? Right, but but hold up, hold up. So but our crown jewel is, is compared to the Masters, right? So when you're sitting down and you're looking at Jamie McMurray's stats, what's the one stat that will get Jamie McMurray into the Hall of Fame? Daytona 500. Okay. What about the Coca-Cola 600? He's a two-time Daytona 500 winner. He's a Coca-Cola 600 winner. And if I'm not mistaken, he's a Indy 5. He's a Brickyard winner, right? Let me check that. So it's all about the crown. It's all about the crown jewels. If you don't have that championship, then you it, it, it reverts back to if you don't have that championship that gets you into the Hall of Fame, you can earn your way in by winning crown jewels, right? And so if if this right. keeps if this if if in the end and we're tallying up who's got the crown jewel wins, I'm not going to take away from a Tyler Reddick. I'm not going to take away from Mike. Michael McDowell has now won two Crown Jewel races. That's all he's ever won, right? Michael Waltrip won two Crown Jewel races. That's, you know, he's got what, like three races in his career, four of them. Okay? Three of them come right. out of Daytona. <laughs> uh, you know, so um, I, I can't take away the Crown Jewel from them, even though I know that they didn't race the oval track. So I think as history goes down the road, we'll forget that for four years we went to the road course. As a matter of fact, I'm all about NASCAR just pulling the date from here. Pull the date. Come back in 10 years. You want to you fill the place up? Come back in 10 years. Look at North Wilkesboro. You know, look at Nashville Speedway. Obviously, when you shut a track down for 10 years or longer, you you build up an interest. I thought the phone died. You build up an interest uh, that uh, you didn't uh, that you didn't have before, right? Uh, everybody was so excited to go back to North Wilkesboro. We kind of got the same race in North Wilkesboro that we've had the reason why the track shut down. But nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to talk about how boring that race really was. No, they were just excited to go back. So, you know, Kentucky Speedway, hey, look, nobody wants to go to Kentucky. Our only hope is in 10 years, everybody's so excited about returning back to that place that it reopens. Chicago land, nobody was excited about it anymore. Huh? I love Kentucky. We we went to two races, both races one year. Yeah, look at – you know, we never got to resurrect Texas World Speedway, but it was talked then, you know. Uh, Ontario, of course, the road course over in uh, uh, River. I mean, Ontario was the circle track. Riverside was the road course. Um, you know, it's these nostalgic tracks. Of course, they're still talking about the Milwaukee Mile and and, and uh, s- several other tracks that are, you know, um, there's one up in Pennsylvania. I can't think of the name of it right now. Um, it, you know, it's... It, 
Nazareth, yes, yes. Like there's this there's this crazy idea to go back to Nazareth, right? Um, but you know, that's that's the nostalgia of things. That's how you try to fake remember, you know, how great something was. Uh but uh, you know, hey. I'm glad we're returning to the Oval. I'm glad to kind of get that asterisk taken off so that our next winner is a true Brickyard 400 winner. Uh, you can put the 400 back on it. And uh, will there forever be that question mark of was that really a crown jewel event? Unfortunately, I think drivers will have to answer that. and Some people will see it some way, and unfortunately, other people will see it different. Uh, let's get to the next. Uh, question or next topic of the night, and I believe that is Kyle Larson is an ass. LOL. Um, does anybody know why that's a topic here tonight? No, I question that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, you know, this is. This I mean, is, I know uh, why he's an ass, but you know, I I yeah. just question why that was a topic. Well, you know, um, first of all, I want to defend my buddy Taz Taylor because Kyle Larson was asked this week if he would like to participate in the SRX series, and he said no, that he doesn't really have time for that. And so a lot of people jumped up and were like, well, wait a minute. Why? Why You, you have time to race modifieds and sprint cars? And also a lot of people felt like, you know, Kyle Larson was kind of given a, a, a slide of the hand uh, to Tony Stewart and SRX Racing. So, um, also, you know, this guy's kind of been full of himself the, the, the last couple of years. Um, he is getting the opportunity to race the Indy 500 next year. Of course, all of that was announced. Um, and he made a particular statement that I feel like may have rubbed some of us race fans wrong, you know, you know brought the Karens out of us um, when he said that, hey, He's got a good enough team at Hendrick Motorsports. He can focus a month on the Indy 500 and it not really affect his team. That's where I want you guys to really dig into this. Is that appropriate? I mean, is Kyle Larson full of himself? You say this about SRX series, like you don't have time for it, right? But you go race, you'll go race a modified race for $500 to win, right? Um, and then you make the statement that your team's so good that you can take a month off from them to go race the Indy 500 and you'll still make the championship. Is this, I mean, does not anybody smell the arrogance coming off of this guy? I mean, for real, like, you may be turned on by it. I'm not. Miss Lee, we'll start with you. Oh, definitely. As a Kyle Larson fan. Um, yeah, I, I, get that he, I get that he doesn't have time for SRX because he's got his, you know, his late model and, and whatnot stuff that he's doing. So I get that part of it. Um, as to the comment about having a good enough team that he can take a month off to focus on Indy, um no, I'm not. I, I'm not into that. Um, you know, I know doing the double is is a lot of hard work for any driver. But yeah, that was arrogant. Definitely. I, you know, I I was a Kyle Larson fan 
I, I started watching him many years ago. You know, I'm old, but uh, since, since he had his issue and had to go through his sensitivity training and all that crap, um, yeah, he comes across as arrogant. And he's he's not he's not the kid I used to watch, right? You know, and and that's and that's fine because a lot of these drivers that I've watched come up are not the kids that they used to be. You know, right. they shouldn't be. Right? They should have all matured. Right? But yeah, he's he's kind of rubs you the wrong way though. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell, and you're and you're and you're a Calvin fan, so so this is this is good. This is good. I like where this is going. Taz, jump in here. Come on, tell me what tell me what you're yeah. thinking. Yeah, I mean, like Miss, I'm actually all for with what Miss Lee said. I mean, if you don't have time for SRX because you want to run, you know, your sprint car series <clears throat> or run a late model or you know do whatever you feel like, that's all fine and dandy. But if you have the confidence to sit there and say, oh, I, Hendrick will give me a month off so I can, you know, focus on the Indy 500 and also make the championship, how fucking arrogant are you, dude? Have you seen the last two freaking years? Have you seen the last two freaking years of how much, how many race, different race winners we've had in the Cub Series? Right. Have you seen the playoffs last year? Guys that we thought were going to go easily into the top eight, let alone a championship four, were guys that were eliminated first. Right. And he was one of them. This May ain't the I Gen add six, to this ain't the Gen Six era where he he went in and and spanked everybody, won ten races, Wiped and crowned himself a champion. He's not right. in that era now with the next gen cars. If we were still in the Gen 6, okay, you know what? Great. It's great you feel that way. I wouldn't be this irritated about it. But we're in the era where there's so many different drivers. You don't really know who's going to win on a given week. Shoot, we don't even have a true big three like we've had with the with the Gen 6 cars. Mm-hmm. This guy. Now, this is the same driver that also stated a few weeks ago that he felt safer in a Sprint car than he did at Daytona, but yet he's going to Indianapolis. So I'm just going to throw that in there. I have no, I have no comment to that yet. I just wanted to make sure that that. Uh, as a matter of fact, we need to play. We need to play Kyle versus Kyle again. I think. I, do y'all remember that when we pulled the quote from Kyle versus Kyle, and I read the quotes, and y'all had to figure out was it Larson or was it Bush. Because now it's, right. it's, it's now it seems like this is becoming more like this is I, I had this premonition two years ago right that's when we played Kyle versus Kyle now it's all coming to fruition here Kyle versus Kyle uh, Miss Lee uh, as I added that to to the you know Mister Kyle Larson and his wonderful quotes there's a smell of arrogance and and I'm and I'm feeling it from both of y'all I, I myself found myself supporting this guy, found myself 
you know, let's do it for the underdog. Um, it, he kind of got a bad deal. Um, and you can't support racism at all. And what he said should have cost him everything that it cost him, right? Because he made a big mistake on a big platform. But he won our hearts because he refused to, for that to be what we've seen from him, what we know of him as. And he went and he worked hard and he hit them tracks and he earned his way back into NASCAR faster, harder, better than anyone I've ever seen. Yes, he did. Since his championship, he has become an arrogant, cutthroat, cut, cut you off ass. He has become the new Kyle Bush. Kyle Larson Absolutely. is an L O L. Uh, do you get it Absolutely. now? Do you get it now, Miss Lee? Yes, I do. You do. get it now. Yes, I do. <laughs> the old Brad Keselowski, Kyle Bush is an ass. So I, <laughs> there's there's a reason. Yeah, and, and, and you know madness. what? <laughs> and you know what? If if you look at Kyle Bush this year, he's He's still pissy. He still gets angry. He still gets aggravated. But he's not the villain. Irritating like he used to be. Yes. Boot you know, he's he's kind Boot he's kind of stretched back. You know, if you if you listen to the in-car radio, you know, Kyle Bush is still, you know, aggravated, irritated, whatnot. But when he when he's approached by the media, he's much calmer. He's yeah. You know, it, it it's but yes. Kyle Larson, so, yes, has gotten very arrogant. Re- really quick here, if you had a celebrity boxing match between Kyle Bush and Kyle Larson, who wins? You very quickly, Miss Lee, who wins? Kyle Bush, Kyle Larson. Celebrity boxing oh, match. Oh, Bush. Bush. Bush all day. Pat Taylor, Bush or Larson. That's easy, Kyle Bush, because Kyle Larson's too freaking t- too much of a chicken <laughs> shit to throw a punch. Y'all were telling me how much of a fan y'all were of Kyle Larson at the beginning of this. I've made both of you, 12 angry men right here, I've made both of you turn against your favorite driver. <laughs> oh, man, I got some true skills out here. Let me let me file my fingernails down a little bit. <laughs> oh, my God, tonight has been so much fun, y'all. Uh, last topic, I guess we've covered Kyle Larson there, and I, I don't think that we could push too much more. It is cool. He's going to be racing the 17 in Indy. Um, the double duty, has, we've got a whole year to talk about that. I really, you know, it's way too early to, to talk about the implications of the double duty and stuff like that. But what we do have implications of it, and maybe you caught some of this when I put case implications, right? Let's, we only got a couple of minutes because we've got to get it, get in. Uh, a couple of minutes of SRX news, and then Taz Taylor's hot pick. So we've got a very brief moment, chase implications. Uh, Hendricks won four 
the last four races, four out of five years, of course, we did not go to race at Watkins Glen uh, in 2020 uh, because of a New York ban. So we are going, uh, and, and obviously Chase has won two races here. Kyle Larson's won two races. Hendrick, four out of the last five years, victorious at Watkins Glen. Chase implications. He ran second at Indy. Is all the stars aligned for him to win at Watkins Glen? My personal opinion is all hands on deck to get Chase this win. I think all hands were right. on deck at Indy for the win. He got outrun. Who would have ever thought that, you know, um, and Michael McDowell would outrun Chase Elliott? You, you just – that two years ago in the Gen 6 car would have never happened. So thank God for – thank God for this new car. Um, what do you guys thought? And I'm going to start with you, uh, Miss Lee. Well, Race Hub picks Chase. But they also threw in Tyler Reddick. I think that Hendrick has been – yeah, well, I did a little bit. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> so, Hendrick is going to do everything they can to make sure that Chase wins this. Besides Kyle sure. Larson. And I also think – that NASCAR might play a part in that. He has to win his way in. And this is, of the last two tracks before the playoffs, this is his best chance. So watch what NASCAR does. And watch team orders. That's my opinion. Watch team orders. I, I like the chase implications. Watch team orders. I I I, I see see that. I, you you sold me right there, Taz Taylor. What's your thoughts? I personally see it as this is Chase's race to lose. If there's anyone that can throw him off, it's going to be a Joe Gibbs car. Um. There could be a couple other Chevys that will throw him off. There could be a couple other Chevys that will throw him off. Suarez is right. one of like them. Like the rivalry the other... between these two teams, right? Between Trackhouse, the Chevrolet camp, and 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 Hendrick, Daniel Suarez, but Daniel Suarez, Taz. The one, the one thing, and I did put this in the chat. I, we can go off of team orders, but I'm sorry, I have to favor with you, Chris, and I know you. Said, you've said this time and time again, Kyle Larson ain't going to do shit when it comes to Chase Elliott because that'll overstep his shadow. Right. So Kyle Larson is Chase Elliott's kryptonite. I mean, let's look at it last I, year. It was Chase Elliott versus Kyle Larson for the win. What did Larson do? Move Chase Elliott out of the way. 
It could possibly get Kyle Larson fired, but if it doesn't get Kyle Larson fired, it could possibly mean Chase Elliott leads Hendrick Motorsports. So this that that could be, that that in itself, Tasso, what you just said, play that this year, play that move this year, and it could completely change Hendrick Motorsports in a couple of years because it could be such hurt feelings because you didn't give the race to Chase. But that's kind of more the reason to go out and beat him, right? <laughs> right? I mean, a racer wants to beat the other racer. Basically. Kyle Larson doesn't want to give Chase the advantage for Chase to think that he's a better racer than Kyle, right? So, in a way, this arrogant side of Kyle Larson is once again becoming kind of a hero in his own camp. God, I hate Kyle Larson. <laughs> But I hate Chase Elliott more, so if I had to pick Kyle Larson to win, by God, let's do it. Anything else? Chase implication. Anybody got any more theories? Um, AJ Allmendinger, does he show up? You know, is, he, is he a legit threat to Chase? Who is a legit threat to Chase Elliott this weekend? Well, that will be, be a hot, hot pick thing to discuss here in a few minutes. But I do want to throw in, people are claiming, oh, if Kevin Harvick and Brad Keselowski get good points runs without wins, they can clinch themselves in the playoffs. I'm here to tell you you're fucking dead ass wrong, okay? You don't know why? Because only one driver is guaranteed on points. And if we get a 15th, if we get a 14th different winner and a 15th different winner in these next two races, sorry, Harvick or Keselowski will be seeing themselves out the damn door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's fact. That is fact. It is not over. Keselowski is not locked in. He's got a two-point edge, I believe, on Kevin Harvick. But I do not see either of these drivers as locked in yet. Um, there is still two open spots uh, that could race their way into this chase. And uh, I would not be surprised to see it. So there is a lot of chase implications coming up in the next couple of weeks. A lot of storylines being created from that. Taz Taylor, it is 8.45. Let us, let's truck on into some SRX news. <clears throat> Take it over, bud. So we're down to the final race at Lucas Oil Speedway in Missouri for the dirt track. The season finale championship uh, is not locked in yet. Right now, it's looking like Ryan Newman's going to be favored to win this championship. Um, but let's break down Eldora quick, and I'm going to relay of what happened the last couple of years we've ran at dirt. And I'm going to make a couple comparisons of the Evernham era versus the Hawk era. I don't know. Obviously, us fans don't know a lot of behind-the-scenes deal that happened with Everham versus Hawk, but it always seemed like with Everham, no matter how many cars got wrecked on a race week, he will show up the next week. All 16 cars are showed up, ready to go, fixed, all repairs done, everything, minus the Bill Elliott issue with his one car or whatever but in the in the year one hawk on the other hand 
you go to the season finale dirt track race at Sharon Speedway, and they had no backup cars. So guys were coming out in the first heat race, wrecked their car, and they're coming out in freaking what looks like a demolition freaking derby car instead of a fancy SRX car because they had no backup cars. Here at Eldora, they had two backup cars ready to go, and two drivers had to sit out for the race. Two or three drivers had to sit out for the rest of the race for the night. And come on, why? Why in the world? How? How did Everham pull it off of having sixteen cars ready to go week in, week out for six weeks straight? But Don Hawk, for some weird freaking reason, can't figure that formula out. Did Tony Stewart lay down and bend over for Don Hawk all of a sudden because he wasn't like this with Everham? And 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 what does that and what does that do for the championship implications? You know, for the drivers, you wreck, and you're you don't have a backup car, so you are gonna event, you know, essentially DNF, and that knock totally knocks you out of potentially a championship. That's ridiculous. Exactly. I mean, I'll give kudos for SRX for letting Deegan and Andretti in backup cars because those are the full-time drivers. They wanted them to race for the championship instead of taking them out, whereas like guys like Kanan, Austin Dillon, um, Chase Briscoe for the longest time. I mean, those guys are there to have fun. And granted, yes, Austin Dillon and Chase Briscoe were doing one race, and that was it. Tony Kanan is racing three races, sharing the ride with Helio Castroneves. So, I mean, they're, they're there for the experience to have fun, something to do different, and yet they got their chances blown because there, was no, there wasn't enough backup cars. This is where I sit here and say, all right, SRX needs to either expand to 20 cars or they got to figure something out crew-wise to get 16 cars ready to go. Because that is a line of freaking bullshit that you don't have 16 cars ready to go week in, week out for six straight uh, nights of racing because Everham did it. Everham and, did it. And I'm gonna, Why can't Hawk? And I'm going to bitch. I'm going to bitch about the fact that they are not this season, and I've made this point before, they are not this season including a local driver at every track. You know, the closest thing to local they got was Johnny Benson Jr., only because they threw Paul Tracy out of here. Yeah, so there's a spot right there. I don't see Chase Briscoe as a local guy for Eldora. I don't see, well, depending on where, Briscoe's out of and depending on where Davenport's out of. But I will say this. I do give kudos for them putting in Jonathan Davenport into this race because it it throws a little bit more parity. But as you said, what happened to Everham? Local guys flavor. Where is Everham? What happened to him? Because he was the crew chief for these cars. He was the the shop manager. He was overall. What 
Did anybody see where he officially left the series? Obviously, he's not a part of it anymore, but where did he go and what happened? Does anybody know? I don't know, but a lot of people said he sold out. So that, but I, nobody knows. Nobody's really seen details. I'm not sure. Could it be I that, he knew that Tony Stewart was cheating? <laughs> well, that's where I'm it going didn't with it. Like, be, it didn't want to be like, uh, questioned for integrity? Everham and Stewart must have laid back and bent over where Everham said, I'll take your money and run. Stewart was just like, hey, I'll keep doing what you say. Let's keep going, right? I mean, great. I'll give, I'll give Stewart the benefit of the doubt. It's great that he's recruiting drivers, for one. Two, it's great that um, he's he brought in and took on the chance of let's bring back the old Thursday Night Thunder so that we could have more drivers to come into our series. But in the sense of what's going on outside of the racetrack, we're seeing the product we're seeing on the screen it's a little disappointing. Yeah. Well, not because to the mention the fact that, that, that the, the, the driver roster is very heavily NASCAR this year with a few Indy drivers thrown in there. I mean, this is right. not what the initial um, idea was. And I'm very disappointed right. with that. Right. Yeah, it, it, you know, we want evolution to happen. We want things to improve with time. It feels like the SRX series has gone backwards in a, in a lot of sense, including like this water hose that come off of Austin Dillon's car. Like that. that's simple, uh, making sure that you're uh, – uh, uh, what is it? What's the, the damn uh, uh, clips? You know that that they're on properly. I mean, it was simple little stuff. Yeah, the the clamps. Like, you know, why? You know, why did something like that happen? Right? Are the cars not being uh, properly prepared for the type of racing that they're about? I understand there's been a lot of wrecked race cars, and they want to blame it all on Paul Trace here, whatnot. But it is racing, and they should be better prepared. There's been a whole lot of money dumped in this series, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, if if Tony Stewart's taking that money and cashing his checks and not putting it back into the series and, and coming up with better equipment, then this is all just a cash run for Tony anyway. I think a lot of people are exactly. discouraged by the fact that Tony keeps on winning in his own series, and there's a lot of other things that are coming up um, that uh, you know seem to uh, furthermore put a black eye. Of course, NASCAR is probably paying a whole lot of money for bad publicity to be put out for Nat for. SRX because I'm pretty sure NASCAR does not like SRX at all. They can handle well, car series because that is a late model tour. That is a beginner series. SRX is a direct competition uh, to NASCAR. No matter what well, Tony Stewart wants to well, lie and say, it is a direct competition to NASCAR. And NASCAR will go at all costs try to put a negative light to SRX. I don't think that they have to, though. I think SRX is kind of doing it to themselves. One minute on this topic. We'll close it out, uh, Ted. Well, I'm going to pause you there on that because, yeah, we can view it as what you said, Chris, but for all we know, 
Tony Stewart has put it out there saying he's been in talks with the France family, been in talks with NASCAR this year. He said that SRX was never meant to be a competitor to NASCAR. It was supposed to be more of a beneficiary because with the lack of practice. And Brad Keselowski said this too. When he, um, with the lack of track time you have with the, with the Cup Series now, this is a beneficiary for guys or girls to race the SRX to get more track time, to develop their craft. And if you look at the stats, and it kind of shows with Brad Keselowski, when he wasn't racing SRX, his average finish was outside the top 10. Running Since running with SRX, he's easily inside the top 10 with his, for his average finish. So, like, yeah, his engineering is a plus on that deal. Look at the look at the track time he's having and the finishes he's putting up. Seat time is seat time. It doesn't matter what series. Seat time is seat time. And everything that you learn from whatever series you're racing in benefits every series you race in. That's right. That's right. And, and, and you know what? No matter what Tony Stewart says, he went to ESPN with a bargaining chip, got a big-ass check written to him. Whether or not he believes or wants to admit that he's in competition with NASCAR, that's a big-ass check, right? And that's money that, uh, you know, that uh, he's using the stars of NASCAR to get that big-ass check written to him. So, um, you know, that that's my idea on the topic, of course. I'm a, I'm a fan of SRX. I'm going to continue following them. Um, this, is, this is week six, Taz. Is that what you said? Yes, week sir. five. Week oh, six. The last week. Wow. Wow. So it's over after this. Well, um, I did hear one of the things that I heard, the negative effect, uh, was that uh, now that they're, they're standalone races, they don't seem to have as much of the local support as what they had in the beginning, which is something that I think is concerning, especially for the longevity. Um, it seems like they are separating themselves from other forms of racing and stuff, and I thought that that was kind of the whole idea, like y'all said, bringing in the local track heroes, doing the race with the local races um, already uh, in conjunction with. So um, those things have all changed and evolved over the last three years, and it kind of seems like we're losing the identity of the SRX series. Uh, that, though they made an improvement on the driver's list, there's – uh, this whole handful of questions over here about not only the integrity of it, but also uh, the mechanical side of it and the preparation side and whether or not this is even possible for one person to oversee 16 cars in, in, in a six week period. Right. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of turnaround. You need, you need, you know, you need 12 full garages. Uh, to handle this type of effort, and I'm sure that they're working on minimal staff with minimal budget. So, you know, that's probably the reason for the preparation of these cars, which could better in return be the reason why uh, Ray Everham decided to step away because it was either, one, too much work, impossible to do, integrity. There is a reason why Ray Everham stepped out. What that reason may be is speculation. 
Um, but uh, definitely there's probably a little bit of fact in all of it. So that's where we stand with SRX Series. Make sure you guys tune in Thursday night. It is the last race. Where's it going to be at, Taz? In Missouri, right? Lucas, Lucas at Oil Wheeland. Speedway Lucas in Missouri. Oil. The dirt track. This would have been the perfect darn week to have uh, 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 Kenny uh, – man, what's his last name? Kenny Collins, I think. Kenny Collins on uh, from – of course, that's his local racetrack, the Missouri uh, Wheatland uh, Lucas Oil Speedway. We are running way behind. Let's get into Taz's hot picks. We'll spend about five minutes here and try to accumulate a good board of picks uh, for our fans this week. Uh, Taz Taylor, take it from here, boss. All right. With the short amount of time we have, I will name off my three favorite contenders and underdogs. Once I do that, I will open up the panel for you, Chris, and you, Lee to mention one driver to go under the favorites, one driver to go under the contenders, one driver to go under the underdog for each of you, and then we'll try to close it out. Um, For the favorites, I have listed as Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, and Kyle Larson. Those three drivers have won the most races at Watkins Glen in history for the Cup Series. Contenders, I have Christopher Bell, Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez. Um, the reason why I put Jones and Suarez is that every time they've raced at Watkins Glen, they finished in the top ten. Um, underdogs, Chase Briscoe, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Eric Amarola. Those three pretty much basically um, self-explanatory. They've been the underdogs all year long. They're basically the underdogs for this one. All right, I want to throw an underdog to the list, and I I think it's somebody that won't show Chase Elliott any love because they're worried about their own personal uh, spot in the chase, and that's going to be Alex Bowman. Anybody that doesn't think that Alex Bowman's not going to be an underdog in this race, you are crazy. Bowman is going to bring it to the table. Bet on yourself like Michael McDowell betted on himself. Alex Bowman is betting on himself this weekend to get it done. He knows he's got the right equipment. He knows he's got the 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 good the team good enough to win. Can he put together a perfect race? Can he beat two of his teammates to do it? My underdog for sure on this board is going to be Alex Bowman. Your favorite and contender, Chris. Don't count out Chris Busher. He's won on road courses before. He's on a hot streak. I would put him as a contender. All righty. I'm going to put Christopher Busher on there. Oh, my Lord. I almost turned to Dale Jr. Well, I tell you what. After the subpar weekend that was, that was last weekend, there's no way, you know, in football, you always bet on the team that, that the good team that come out and made a fool of themselves in week two. You can bet your biffy that team's going to come back and have an outrageous win in the third week of the season. It happens all the time. You've got a Super Bowl contender. He goes out, wins the first game. Then the second game, something happens. It comes unglued. They lose a tight game. But then the third game of the season, they come out and massacre their competition. 
That's what I believe Joey Logano is going to do this weekend because they looked pitiful at Indianapolis. There's no way in the world that I can't consider Joey Logano a contender this week because they fell on their ass face first, face first on their ass, however that works. I'm not sure how the ass falls in the face, but that's what happened with Joey Logano. They're going to look to rebound this weekend. They're not going to come up with the same. They're going to show up with something better this weekend. Guaranteed, Joey Logano is going to have a better outing than he had last weekend. I've got to put him in the contender section. I mean, you know, he's too good to put as an underdog. I'm not as a as a for sure. He's going to be a contender. All right, and Chris, I see you put in Tyler Reddick as a favorite. Obviously, we've seen him do what he's done recently with road courses. He's won on a couple of them. Um, I don't think he has a Watkins Glen win yet. I'm trying to confirm that. No, he does not, but he has finished in the top ten every time he's raced at Watkins Glen. So that should definitely say something. Um, this lead and, he, and he's another the, driver that doesn't give a shit who Chase Elliott is. He is another driver that does not give a damn who drives that number nine car. Go ahead. Miss Lee, do you have a favorite or an underdog to wrap up the list here quick? Um, well... Where's AJ? I know you want to say his name. Huh? We do not have Dinger listed on this list. However, he is a winner at Watkins Glen. Right. I think he's more focused this weekend. I think we could put him... Hmm... I'd put him at, 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 at least as an underdog. Okay. It's hard. It's hard. To, it's, that's a hard one. It really is. Right. And I'm surprised one driver has not come up as a favor, and I thought Chris would say his name. MTJ. There you go. Wow. I mean, well, I mean, you're talking about the hottest driver in NASCAR right now, Chad. It's really not hard to read your mind on that. I know, I know my wife's over here like, damn, you can even read their mind? Look, I know. I know. It's like that sometimes. But MTJ is the hottest driver. He is so fine. He's, like, just tearing the track up. Yeah, I'm talking about MTJ. He's, I mean, look, you've got to put him on the favorites list. There's no way. He is the, he is the rising star. Right, of of the drivers right now. We have not had a specific number one all year long till Martin Truex Jr. So now we have a specific number one, but it also has to lend you to wonder, is William Byron being cut short off of this list? Because William Byron has had the most up and down all around season, I think, that anybody could have. One weekend he's like unbeatable, the next weekend he's running 24th. So, um, you know, but he has three good weeks and then one bad week. So consistently, it's hard to put Byron as a favorite. But if you're putting Truex on the list, you got to put Byron on the list. And, and maybe he, maybe he's a contender or an underdog. But please, let's not close this show without giving Ty Gibbs 
a seat at the table. We've got to bring the, the, the high chair in. We've got to set up the baby food. We've got to take the lid off. We've got to make sure that the formula yeah. is just at the right temperature. But I promise you, through all that baby shit, Ty Gibbs could really stun the world. We've had a lot of first-time this, winners at Watkins Glen over the years. This, um, is, this is a good track for list. Gibbs. It is. This is a good track for Gibbs. Yes. Yes. So, so MTJ, William Byron, and Ty Gibbs, they all need to make this list. And I don't even see how the hell we can come off of McDowell winning this past weekend and not somehow or another have his name added to this list. I know, can't everybody make the list? We've still got Brett Keselowski out there. We've still got Kevin Harvick out there. We've still got Christopher Bell out there. But I'm telling you, you know, Michael McDowell won last week, and we are literally forgetting about that already. Not one of his stronger tracks, though. Very true, very true. But who would have thought Indy was his stronger track? But I mean, you know. But I mean, Chris, we have had lists all season long where we've mentioned names, but they're not on the list. They're and not on the course, list. That's the but, subject. They're not on the list. But it doesn't mean that they're not considered as a driver to look out for. Obviously, yes. we're talking about yes. so that's a driver to look out for, but we're just throwing a list out there as an ideal. We're obviously what we say is one thing, but the list is another thing to kind of help out. So yes. it's it's just a matter yes. of personal preference, you know. I mean, look, I mean, look at it last week as I mentioned earlier on in the show. We did not mention the road course specialist last week at Indy Road Course, and then all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, how do we sleep on guys like Jensen Button or SVG or that Kostecki guy or that Kobayashi dude, you know? Like, we somehow let those guys slip through our minds. And look where SVG finished, the top ten. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and look SVG at where the other guys finished. In the 20th. Yes, he did. And the other guys finished in 20th positions are better. And Kobayashi was in the 67 car, so we know that that had everything it needed to be um, a legit contender. Uh, that just shows the talent that SVG is going to bring to the table. We didn't get into that subject tonight. It'll be something that we can talk about next week. Kaz Taylor, I believe your board is amazing. That's what we got to choose from. I know I went a little bit over in the opening monologue, uh, so we we are sorry for uh, carrying this show longer than two hours. You know, of course, we try to stay within that two-hour time bracket. Unfortunately, we went 10 minutes over tonight. We didn't lose anything uh, because I set the show up for 180 minutes, and uh, so that gives us plenty of overtime uh, to work with. But just like NASCAR, even Race Chat Live has an overtime. So uh, thank you for joining us here tonight. Um, we had an amazing show. We covered a whole lot of ground. Um, hopefully we didn't stir up too many uh, of our fans with our predictions and our opinions. But if we did, then, hey, we did our job. Uh, thank you uh, for listening to Race Chat Live. I'll give it to Taz Taylor for getting to close out the show. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening on to Race Chat Live. 
be sure to listen in to our shows anywhere you can think of. If you ever miss us live, such as Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, RSS Feed, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, GeoSaving Podcast Addict, Deezer, Podchaser, YouTube, and also now Amazon Music. We want to thank our uh, sponsors for making the 110 Nation Roll Bears Bullish Market Talk Group, Carolina Sports Plus, TNT Designs, Yellow Caution Flag Productions, and more to music, karaoke, and entertainment. We will say good night. We'll see you next next week, same bat time, same bat place, next Tuesday night here on Blog Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow night, Wednesday night, for CJ and Mario to return to the studio for the 110 Sports Show, 8 p.m. Eastern. And, of course, the debut of Chris and Jason's new show, I don't remember the name of it. I'm sorry. Next Monday night, uh, I believe. No, you got that wrong. You got that wrong. So you weren't you weren't a part of the of the uh, of the original um, when we when we uh, when I come on. You missed that. Look, I know it sounds like it's mine and Jason's or whatever, but this if you would have been here for the opening monologue, uh, you you guys have just not been. I've not been properly introduced to what we're what we're bringing to the table here. This is a collaboration between the 110 Nation Sports and the Race Chat Live. This is a back to the roots where we come from uh, deal. This is bringing the interviews back. That's how this this station was created. I know Taz, you you've been more uh, a part of the station while it's been an entertainment side. Of course, we tried it in the past to juggle kind of two shows in one, and we we kind of steered back towards just bringing entertainment to the table. This is the opportunity to have everybody on board and uh, a a quick 30-minute podcast. It's called the 110 Nation Sports Race, the 110 Nation Race Chat Live Exclusive. And that exclusive is really the name of the show, right? Because what do you think of when you think exclusive, Taz Taylor? Miss Lee's already answered this. What do you think of when you hear exclusive? What do you think? Extra content, something special. Something special, and that's what we're digging here. And we want everybody a part of this. Um, right now, you know, it's going to be uh, Jason and I asking the questions, but we still want everybody in the 110 Nation to be a part of this. It's a celebration. It's a celebratory moment. It's, we've come back to where we began. Uh, you know, this thing was created 12 years ago, and it was created on a platform to give voices to those who didn't have it. And then over the last few years, we've turned it into an entertainment show. Um, Racing with Big Sweat was never a show of entertainment. It was a platform to get late model drivers and dirt racing drivers a chance to uh, be interviewed, a chance to get a taste of what it's like to have a microphone in front of them. And that's kind of what this 110 Nation Sports, uh, 110 Nation Race Chat Live exclusive is going to bring back. It's just got a 30-minute podcast, 20 minutes of it for interviews, 10 minutes of it for promoting uh, what else is on the station. We want everybody uh, to be involved into that, Taz Taylor. So make sure that uh, if you can, you are there with us Monday night as we dip into Landon Lewis and his racing career. All righty. Awesome. So with that being said, we'll see you same bat time. Same bat time, same bat place next Tuesday night with Race Chat Live. This has been the Caution Flag of Racing Radio. Chris Clayton, the Mama Bear, the One Set Nation, Miss Lee Reed. I'm the Tasmanian Double Flag. It's Taz Taylor saying goodnight. We'll see you all next week.
Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.